Hi, my name is Mandy Jackson Beverly, and I'm a bibliophile. Welcome to the bookshop. Thanks for listening to the Bookshop Podcast. I appreciate the notes I receive saying how much you enjoy the show. Creating a podcast is a lot of work. It takes hours to research guests, edit, produce, and market each episode. Many of you have contacted me wanting to financially support the work I do, so I've made it easy. To donate using PayPal, go to thebookshoppodcast.buzzsprout.com and click on the small blue heart at the top right of the homepage. You can also donate via Patreon. The link is on my website at www.mandyjacksonbeverly.com and click on the Bookshop Podcast. I love what I do, and I believe in keeping the magic of independent bookshops a reality and to support authors everywhere. Now, on with the show. Today is a special day. It is Independent Bookstore Day 2021. So I'm changing things up a bit. I figured I'd do three really short episodes today, one with a bookshop and two others with authors. So if you're able, please buy a book from an independent bookshop today and celebrate their presence in our communities. I'll be back again on Wednesday with a really exciting episode, which is actually part of a series of three interviews. I am super excited about this little event. Now, on with today's episode. About a month ago, I received an email from a young lady saying, I really like your podcast. And I'm a bookseller, and I currently work part-time for a great little bookstore, and would you be interested in interviewing the owner? Of course, I emailed back and said, sure, why don't you introduce us? Which she did, and this young lady's name is Julia Byers, and the bookstore is Apple Tree Books in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. And the owner of the bookshop is Lynn Quintrell. During this interview, you may hear some background noise because Lynn is working in the bookshop. Hi, Lynn, and welcome to the show. Hi, Mandy. Thanks so much for reaching out to us. We're happy to be a guest. It's great having you here. What is the history of Apple Tree Books, and have you always been a bookseller? Well, I'm the third owner. Um, It was started in 1975 in the same location that it's currently in. Um, So it's been here for 46 years. Bill Rubin started the store back in 1975, and it was sort of a family event. Um, His mom did the bookkeeping. His kids would come in and keep him company when he was selling books when they were out of school. And he decided, I think, this was his rationale after 15 years, is that he wanted a steady paycheck. So he decided to sell the store (laughs) in favor of a steady paycheck. And... A woman bought it by the name of Jane Kessler, who was retiring as head of the psychology department at Case Western Reserve University. And I think she was really concerned about not having anything to do in her retirement. So she decided to buy the store and she started out with a partner for two years and then her partner died. 
And so Jane was left with the bookstore by herself. So she ran it, though, for 25 years. And I came on board, I think, in 94. I can't remember exactly, but I worked for her for eight years. So I only knew her really in her 80s. She sold the store to me when she was 93 years old, which is remarkable. She sounds fascinating. Oh, yeah. Remarkable and very savvy lady. Um, She's still alive today. She just celebrated her 100th birthday on March 9th. So I've owned the store for seven years. I worked for Jane for eight, but I've owned it for seven. And I am obviously the least experienced person so far to own it. Bill Rubin had a background in books. Jane didn't really have a background in books, but she knew she knew what was quality and what she wanted to sell. I've always been a big reader, but I never really envisioned myself as a bookstore owner. I just sort of fell into it. And when Jane decided one day, she, she had a sort of a come to Jesus moment, I think, um, the computer didn't work for her. I mean, now keep in mind, she's 83 years old and she's struggling with the computer. She did email, which was remarkable, and online banking. But one day she just, all of a sudden the hands went up. She goes, that's it, I'm done. I'm selling the store. It's yours if you want it. I'm telling my son today, I'm done. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> so anyway, um, she very graciously let me have a few months to consider that. And so I decided that, that the neighborhood would really miss this. It had been here a long time. And I think many people think of this as a the definition of the neighborhood. And so I thought, well, I'll give it a try. Uh, I had a lot to learn. Very different when you work for someone versus when you own the store. So um, it was an interesting learning curve, you know. So your initiation into the world of book selling was only about eight years, right? Eight years. Yeah, and I worked for a very part-time. It was a perfect job for me. My daughter was in high school, and I could pick her up, you know, at, at 10 of 3. And I could come in at 10 and work till 3, and it was perfect, like three days a week. But as, as Jane got older and a little less capable with each year... I assumed more hours. Um, I did not do the book buying with her. I did assume responsibility to to the extent that she would let me do it. I would um, purchase cards and stationery and sidelines, but I didn't really buy books. And does Apple Tree specialize in specific genres? No, I would say we are a general genre uh, shop. Uh, The thing that distinguishes us from the other two bookstores here in Cleveland Heights is that we sell only new books. Uh, In other words, nothing that was previously owned. So uh, while that does give us a very different look, it doesn't permit us to change the prices on our books. Like secondhand booksellers are very free to put whatever price they want on their books. We're not. The publisher stamps them right on there, and that's pretty much what I'm stuck with. We are distinctly different from the other two in that we do not carry used or collectible. And did you recently redesign your children's section? Yes. Tenancy within the block has changed considerably, you know, over the last 15 years. When I bought the store in 14, it was only 900 square feet. I made do with it, but I was always rearranging furniture for events, you know, taking the tables out to the back alley, pushing the people in the front. I'm like, this is very tiresome. So one of the stores at the end of the block became available. And I went up there uh, with the landlord's permission. I went up and looked at it. And it was so big, I couldn't wrap my head around how we would make this an intimate spot. 
So I'm like, no, we're not moving. We'll just make do. So what I said, I sent a letter to the landlord saying, hey, if the tenant next door ever goes out of business, I would like write a first refusal. So he's like, Lynn, they're paying the rent. They're in great shape. Don't worry about it. You know, I'll let you know. It's they're they're a great tenant. Four months later, I get a letter from the landlord. Do you want the space? So it was really, um, it was like crossing the Rubicon a little bit. <laughs> you know, I had to, do I do it? Don't I do it? If I don't do it, will I ever regret that I didn't do it? So I negotiated with the landlord and we split the renovation costs. But we had to, this is a building built in 1901 and the walls are, 18 inches thick, we had to blast through the wall um, in order to open up the space. So it was quite a um, large enterprise. The rationale, though, behind the additional space was that we didn't have a special event space and our children's area was way too small. I felt the kids that would come in the store were, I would say, underserved (laughs) by what we had. So it gave us an opportunity to expand and we did it. So it's been here since 16, 2016, the fall of 2016. And often during a renovation, you just think to yourself, what have I done? <laughs> but after, it's just such a relief. Is that how you felt? Well, you know, it's a funny thing. I had sort of a vision when I bought the store I had back in 14. I had a vision for what I thought it could be. And with the addition, I've been very pleased with the way it's gone. It's attractive. It's got a lot of vintage things to it. It sort of goes with the building. I think it's worked out really well. And I think it would have been a mistake not to expand the store. During COVID, I was very happy that we had two storefronts because we had two doors. So I could keep one side open and close the other, which is what I did do. It gave us some flexibility, I guess is what I should say. Well, if we've needed anything during the pandemic, it's definitely flexibility. Now, I'd love to hear a little about the area where the store is located. Sure. Cleveland Heights, was, which is where the store is located, it's in the Cedar Fairmount neighborhood, which has Tudor-style buildings dating back to the early 20th century. It has quite a bit of charm. However, it being a major thoroughfare leading down the hill and into Cleveland, we're sort of up above Cleveland on top of the hill. It's called Cedar Hill. And so we're on the top of the hill, but it's an inner ring suburb. And I would say it's a very diverse, eclectic uh, neighborhood. We have a lot of musicians and artists, um, people that work at the art museum, uh, musicians that play for the orchestra. We have a lot of doctors because the Cleveland Clinic is uh, down at the bottom of the hill, along with University Hospital, which is part of Case Western Reserve University, which is also up here on the hill. They have several parts to their campus. Case does. They're down at University Circle, and they're sort of up here in Cleveland Heights as well. So it's a very, um, I would say it's a historic neighborhood. Nearby, we have a couple of neighborhoods that have beautiful older homes, quite a nice selection of, you know, brick and stone and frame houses that date from the 20s and the 30s. So that sort of describes the neighborhood, but it's, it's very eclectic, and it has a very diverse residency. Diversity is wonderful. Yeah. Now, prior to the pandemic, you held events at the store. Have you been able to continue with these events on a virtual basis? No. Yeah, we're a small store and we have a small staff. Um, We don't have tons of people. We had to prioritize what was important to us and virtual events did not make the cut. We just thought, okay, uh, as much as we'd like to support them, we just didn't feel we had the time to do them. 
So we, we did not do that at all during the pandemic. I don't think we had any events in here actually all year, to be honest. Uh, the first one we will have is, probably, is Independent Bookstore Day on April 24th which will be the first opportunity for people to come in, uh, you know, on an extended basis besides the holidays. I mean, we opened for in-store browsing during COVID last June, and we have been open for browsing since, since June. The whole store, both sides opened just last Tuesday. So all 2,000 square feet is now available for everyone to browse, but we were getting by with less than 1,000 for over a year. Now you brought up Independent Bookstore Day, which is today. But I love the idea that you had for the 2019 Independent Bookstore Day celebration. Who came up with the idea for the bike tour based on the book Little Fires Everywhere? Well, I can't take credit for it. One of our customers, he's an interesting young guy. He's, he's very involved in the Cleveland Bike Coalition. And he works at Case and he lives around the corner. So he walked in one day and said, hey, you know, my daughter had this really interesting idea. What do you think about doing this? And I'm like, it's awesome. I'm all for it. So what we did was, though, I we did print up a map, you know, with the different locations um, in the book that were in mostly Shaker Heights. It was not really Cleveland Heights. It was mostly Shaker Heights in that book. And not that many people went on. I was surprised. We did a raffle, too. If you signed up to go on the book tour, we asked you to fill out a raffle slip and we stuck it in a jar. We were surprised at I think we maybe got 20 people. I would have thought we would have had a better response. But you know what? The people that went on it had a great time. I actually think 20 is a good number. You just never know how many people are going to turn up for these events. But you have to try. Yeah. I know we're still in pandemic mode, but do you have anything planned for the Indie Bookstore celebration today? Well, Mandy, the one thing about the book tour here in April, back a few years ago, the bike tour, I should say, was dependent on nice weather. We can have pretty crummy weather in April. And so they were lucky. They had a nice day. And I think that was, I think some people were like, eh, I'm not so sure. I'll wait for the weather forecast, that kind of thing. This year, we're not doing anything quite that ambitious because I'm not sure that people are still comfortable going out and being around other people. So what we're going to have here. Um, we did one year, um, and it was popular. Um, it's called Mimosas with Michael. So you come in, get a mimosa and a donut hole, and you can browse. And that's one thing we're going to do. We have two authors that are going to be here. Um, one is Terry Liebenson, who is a nationally known middle reader graphic novelist who lives here in Cleveland Heights, and another local gal, Adina Davis, who's done a vegan cookbook. So they'll both be here, but not at the same time. Uh, one's coming for, Terry's coming from one to two, and Adina's coming from two to three. In Cleveland, there was a bakery a long time ago by the name of Huff Bakery, and they went out of business um, a number of years ago, but the guy who baked the cakes for them saved the recipe, owns the recipe, and is in business and has been in business for the last 15 years. So we're going to have a Huff cake, which means a lot to people in Cleveland. And what we've decided to do is um, I asked all the staff to give me their favorite authors. So it'll have the names of different authors on the top of the cake and people can come in and have a free piece of cake and just enjoy being in here during COVID. It sounds like fun. Now, what is the difference between book groups and book clubs? Usually book clubs um, invite people to join them. So it's usually someone that you know or friends of friends, but it's by invitation. A book group, which is what we run, anybody can come. 
anybody's welcome to come. I will say our book group is on hiatus right now because of COVID. And we're re-examining what we're going to do. The bar slash restaurant that we used to have it in has closed. So we have to sort of figure out what we want to do. And we're thinking we're going to have it here in the store and offer Prosecco and cheese for people who want to be part of the book group again. Um, Some people have missed it. Some people understand why we're not doing it. It, It's sort of, it's in transition right now. So we're hoping sometime, maybe this summer, we're hoping maybe this summer that um, it will be possible. You know, maybe when everybody feels good about being around each other, maybe that's when we can revisit this. And what is your Writer in the Window program? The first time I ever went to any book association meeting was in Chicago, maybe about five years ago. And there was a working session on events in the store. And somebody said, oh, you know what we tried in our store? It was great. We put a rocking chair in the window and we had people read round the clock. And this guy said, you should have seen the people coming out of the bars at 2 a.m. And they're seeing this person reading in the window. They were like, did I have too much to drink? Or is this not cool? They couldn't decide. So I thought, I know what we're going to do. So I came up with the idea of putting writers in the window, having them sign up for, uh, I think it's two-hour shifts, and anybody can do it. I had a staff person here who coordinated the Google sign-up, and it took us at least a year to sort of get the groove, because we've now been doing it just about every year I've owned the bookstore, I think. Um, Not last year, obviously, because of COVID. Um, And we're going to do one window. We used to have two windows on either side of our main door, but I'm only going to be using one window this year for that. It's been a great way to get um, panels of writers. You know, if you want to present, like, say, a panel on mystery writing locally, pull the people who wrote in the window, talk about your experience. It's been very helpful that way. And I'll tell you, people love it. They walk by the store because we get quite a bit of foot traffic here. We have a Starbucks at one corner and um, we have Burgers Bagels at the other. So people walk by and they're like, there's a real person in the window. Wow. (laughs) It's a fun idea. You've done your research. Yes, I did. Yes, you did. You did a great job. Thank you. I appreciate that. The other thing I wanted to ask you about with regards to your windows, you have artful window displays and receptions from local community groups and schools. I love this idea. How did you get this program into place? Well, I reached out to the local elementary school, which is maybe three blocks away from here, a number of years ago. And the art teacher there lays out what they're going to do. And then the kids do it as part of their curriculum, which is really nice. But yes, the kids make the window. They don't come up with the design and the concept, but they make what's in the window. And then we have a reception for them, um, for the teachers, actually for the whole school. Anybody can come who wants to. Um, We did not do it last year. Again, it was COVID. The year before that, the art teacher had done something to her knee. So the Parents Association, kudos to them. They stepped up to the plate and they did the window. The community windows have really been fun. And we've met a lot of really interesting people as a result of that. I'm starting them up again in May. The first one we will have is Morgan Conservancy, which is a paper and printing collaborative nonprofit piece downtown. And they're going to be doing um, a window about marbleized paper, um, how to make marbleized paper, what it looks like. And then we're going to sell some of their paper for them. And then I have um, like the Cleveland Hiking Club is going to do July. I've got uh, Family Connections, which is another family group that has agreed to be here in the fall. Out of the other other window, uh, we sell vintage finds, you know, from people that are 
downsizing like so many of us. But I have friends who are like, just, you know what? I don't care about the money. I just want to get rid of the stuff. Take what you want. And it's been very popular. Nobody in the neighborhood sells vintage anything. So I thought, well, we'll give that a try. And that seems to be working. So one window for that, one window for the community window. And then the other main window is, is ours. Well, I'm impressed by your community windows, Lynn. I think it's a wonderful idea and such a great way to support your community. And I'm sure your community has supported you. I do have to echo that comment about the community being there for us, because without them, this past year would not have been possible. I mean, their support has been phenomenal. Our customers have been great. I have I have to also say the staff here has really stepped up to the plate and put in the hours when, you know, we have fewer people and the hours are longer. They've been stupendous. But our customers, whether we're doing curbside, whether they're coming in the store, we've offered complimentary home delivery since last April uh, to a certain geographic area. They love that and they've supported us that way. We wouldn't be here without them. So I echo your comment. I read that you have some family heirloom bookcases in the store. Is that right? My husband's grandfather was an attorney um, for Baker Hostetler, large Cleveland law firm, a number of years ago. And then his son, my father-in-law, became an attorney at Arter and Haddon, and he took the bookcases from his father's office at Baker Hostetler, took them to Arter and Haddon. Well, when he retired from Arter and Haddon, He took the bookcases and the desk and and everything to his home office, you know, loaded up the home office with all sorts of paper. You can imagine a lawyer. Um, So anyway, my father-in-law passed away and my mother-in-law didn't know what to do with them. She she really didn't want them. And I said, I'll take them. You don't want them? I'll take them. She said, you sure? What are you going to do with them? I said, oh, I have a vision. (laughs) So, well, they were moved here out of from their house and they're on the other side of the store now. The partner desk that was my husband's grandfather's is also there. It's a main display piece in the middle of the floor. I happen to love those old legal bookcases. Yeah, they're really nice old bookcases and they're the kind you can't find anymore with big sliding glass doors. We took the glass doors off, but and they have drawers down below, but um, sliding glass doors in the front. And they're lovely. They were going to go to the dump to the dump. And I'm like, no, they're not going to the dump. So they look great here. You really did your research. I'm impressed. (laughs) I tell you, I'm a research hound. (laughs) Lynn, what is one book you'd like to see more people reading? That's a tough question because there's a lot out there I think that's really good. The book that I just read that I really loved, it's written by Deborah Reed. And she owns a bookstore in Oregon, in Manzanita, Oregon. And it's it's a book called Pale Morning Light with Violet Swan, a novel of a life in art. It's fiction. It's about a woman who's an artist. And the author does a phenomenal job weaving the backstory in with the current story. It isn't a linear progression. It goes sort of back and forth. And you learn about her life in various segments. I thought it was a great book. I think they should read this. It's it's really a great story. She had a lot of adversity to overcome, but it's not a depressing read. It's a very it ends on a very positive note. I just read Paula McLean's new one, and I I think it's a phenomenal accomplishment. When the stars go dark, it's a mystery. She's grown tremendously as a writer, and I I hope everybody reads this book. I really do. It's got a lot in there for book clubs and book discussion. 
It deals with foster care. She does a phenomenal job of dialogue. And I did, it's a mystery, which is out of her typical genre. She had done mostly historical fiction before. This is a mystery. And I think if they don't make this a movie, I will be very surprised. And I'll make sure to link those back to your store in the show notes. And you can find Apple Tree Books online at appletree-books.com. And I must say, Lynn, you have a beautiful website. I did not realize when I bought the store how naive was I <laughs> about all the work that goes into websites. And as we got into it a little bit, I thought, no, I want the website to reflect what we're about and the atmosphere that you would experience in the store. The problem being, if you want to present uh, Indie Next picks on your website, that is not possible without having an indie commerce website. I didn't want an indie commerce site because I thought they were generic, but I didn't know that I was limiting myself at the time. So indie commerce, while it, it gives you a lot of advantages, it doesn't give you a distinctive flavor or feeling like the one we have. I'm hoping that ABA will be able to come out with some kind of way we could merge both types together. So anyway, I really wanted the website to look like us, and that's what we tried to do. It's locally designed by Epstein uh, Design Partners here in Cleveland. They did it for us. Well, it's definitely original. They did a beautiful job. And the physical address for the bookstore is 12419 Cedar Road, Cleveland Heights, Ohio. That's right, on Cedar Hill. It's the Cedar Fairmont neighborhood in Cleveland Heights. And the phone number at the store? 216 791-2665. Lynn, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been fun chatting with you. And a shout out to your bookseller, Julia Byers, for actually putting us in touch with each other. Thank you, Julia. Well, Mandy, thank you, because I'm sure you talk to everybody all over the country. All over the world. Yes, I do. Was it the community piece that drove this for you? Or was it your just your love for books and bookstores? Before the pandemic hit, I ran a speaker series at our local library with another friend, and I really miss speaking with people from all over the world. So what I decided to do was start this podcast, specifically because I began to see bookshops closing, independent bookshops closing, and that saddened me because I see independent bookshops as the hub of our communities. I'm also a bibliophile, and I love hearing people's stories. So that's everything behind the Bookshop Podcast. And thank you for your question. I appreciate you asking. You take care and have a fabulous Indie Bookshop Day. Okay, you too. And thank you for listening. Remember, buy local, read global, support your local indie bookshop. I'll see you around the corner. For updates about the show, make sure to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Mandy Jackson Beverly.